1: Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry is on standby on her phone, ready for any issue to arise. We're supposed to text her. And, of course, that makes this Stuff You Should Know 2022. (laughs) The Too Much Information edition. That's right. And you didn't
3: even say a dish. A dish. I know. I'm growing up. Look at me. So how are you doing?
0: Good. How are you? Good as well. Good. So, Chuck, I'm really excited about this one for a number of reasons. One, we get to take a really standard, universally understood um, Mm -hmm. part of American history and smash it to bits (laughs) and explain how it really happened and what it really was and what really went on. I love history stuff like that, don't you?
3: I do. Uh, And this is a good one because it is, uh, if if you're like someone who enjoys watching Jeopardy Mm -hmm. or playing in any sort of trivia nights or... Uh, trivia Games, Trivial Pursuit. Stuff you should know, Trivial Pursuit.
0: Yeah, available everywhere.
3: Uh, this is just good info. I feel like these kind of questions, it's the Louisiana Purchase is just such sort of a a softball kind of thing for trivia games. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that it's easy. I just mean there's just so much in there, and it's not like people go like, well, how am I supposed to know about the Louisiana Purchase? Like It reshaped America in ways, uh, or the United States rather, in ways that were just... Uh, the tendrils just kept going and kept going.
0: Yeah, you can make a really good case that it helped shape the world because, yeah. you know, it was the thing that jump-started the United States into, um, I guess, the, the initiation of it as an up, up-and-coming up world power. Yeah. Because, yeah, we doubled our surface area in size. The United States did. Boom. Um, And I saw it likened, Chuck, to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and that's where the— that's where the list ended. They basically said those three things are yeah. the most important parts of early American history that helped make the country. Um, and there's a lot of, like, really interesting stuff to it. But there's also, like, a lot of the history that just isn't talked about, doesn't get right. focused on enough. And, like, what's one of the really good things about, like, living in the 21st century is, like, we're really starting to examine that stuff more. And we're taking these really kind of— um you know, primary and basic and kind of watered down versions of historical events and like really kind of bringing them to life for better or for worse. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's not every day that a, a new burgeoning nation can get the opportunity to uh, acquire about eight hundred and fifty thousand square miles. Right. Uh, not acres, square miles. Yeah. Uh, and acquire, uh, as we'll see, more like uh, the right to acquire. Right. Uh, more like the right to kind of take.
0: Yeah, which is you know how what it hand I mean? out. Oh, I know what you mean. I've done the research. I know where you're going with that.
3: <laughs> well, should we go back then to how the name Louisiana, Louisiana, it sounds Italian when I say it.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's how
3: it's said. <laughs> it's really French though, right?
0: Yeah. Louisiana. <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. Uh, what was going on was there were people in France there, a lot of people, or from France rather, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact... Uh, they were bold enough to call it New France. Uh, this was King Louis the, what would that be, 14th? Yes. I'm brushing up on my uh, Roman numerals. And L- King Louis said, all right, uh, Mr. French Explorer, uh, I'm going to let my friend Josh over here to my right pronounce your name.
0: <laughs> let me try. Rene Robert Cavalier, Sir de la Salle. Quite a name.
3: But Louis said, hey, dude. Um, you've got authority to explore all the the western part of this area I call New France. you got a monopoly on trade there on Buffalo Hides. Go knock yourself out. Uh, LaSalle did just that in 1682, Mm -hmm. uh, floated down the mighty Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico, and said, you know what, I'm just going to say all of this area belongs to France, and I'm going to name it after uh, the gentleman who handed over my charter, I guess, uh, and it was with an E at the time, La Louisiane. Mm-hmm. Louis, Louisiane?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know why the Italian keeps popping up.
0: I don't either.
3: Uh, The land of Louis. So it was basically they added an LA at the beginning and then switched out the A for an E, or, you know, that would later become Louisiana.
0: I wonder if that's uh, uh, Louisiane iced tea bags are a nod to. Is it spelled with an E? Yeah, A N N E, I think. And they take the eye out. It's all messed up. Uh, (laughs) I read somewhere, Chuck, that that Cavalier, uh, when he got to the the, um, delta of the Mississippi River where it hit the Gulf of Mexico, he, like, located the indigenous people that lived around there and read a proclamation to them. It's basically he said, hey, um, can you stand still while I read this? And he proclaimed, like you said, that whole area belonging to – King Louis, and they're just sitting there, like, "What? What are you talking about?" Yeah, of course they were. So, but this was how um, this part of the the world, this part of North America, was settled. It was by the French, and um, they figured that. And I mean, this was an enormous swath of of territory from Canada down to the Gulf of Mexico oh, yeah. from the uh, west of the Mississippi River all the way to, to no one whatever. even knows how. Yeah, yeah. just go <laughs> as far as you want. No one had any idea what was over that way except for until you ran into the Spanish in California. I'm not even sure they were there yet. So, um that, that's how the English— um, the Dutch who were up in New York, the French, the Spanish, how all of these world powers that were running around North America viewed the whole thing, and that was France's. And so France said, all right, awesome, let's exploit this. We're going to make just a staggering amount of money, and I'm going to let this one particular person uh, in 1712, Antoine Crozat, um, have the, the charter to basically develop this territory into New France, like we called it kind of prematurely,
3: yeah, they he didn't get a lot of support from France, uh, they kind of handed this over to him, and like you said, it was such a, a big area, like it was just too unwieldy, basically right. uh, to control and maintain and try to manage, and he lost a ton of money, uh, I think it only took it took less than five years when he went back to the king and said you know what i I appreciate the Charter. But uh, <laughs> with all due respect, I would like to be released from it. And, you know, that was fine. He was released from the charter, but the French expeditions kind of continued there uh, for a while. But it was sort of, um, you know, they were outnumbered. They were, uh, the settlements were sparse, mostly still indigenous Americans populating the area mm-hmm. until 1762 when the Seven Years' War happened and France said, you know what? this territory is now going to belong to Spain. Mm-hmm. But Spain didn't really know what to do with it either, right?
0: No, they had, I think, even less of a presence in um, in this, I guess, Louisiana territory than the French did. I saw that even when Spain kind of ruled this area as far as the European powers were concerned. For 37 years, there were more French officials yeah. calling the shots there than there were Spanish officials. And um, I think they were the the greatest minority of all. The, the greatest majority were the indigenous tribes in the area. But then as far as Europeans went, you had um, English, you had a lot of French people, you had um, a lot of people who had come down from... Um, Canada, the Mm -hmm. Acadians, who went on to become the Cajuns, they were living in the area at the time. Um, And it was just kind of, uh, Spain was just, they just had the thing. They owned it. They weren't doing much with it.
3: Yeah. So they tried here and there uh, to not, you know, uh, to not excellent results. There was a colonial governor named Don Antonio del uh, Ulloa, I guess. Would that be right? I think so. Or Aloa, Yeah. And he said, all right, you know, we own this place technically, guys, so I'd like to try to enforce some of our rules, if you don't mind, about trade. <laughs> and the French leaders there said, yes, we very much do mind, because uh, you're not calling the shots around here, despite the fact that you, quote, unquote, own this land. Mm-hmm. So they revolted, drove him out of the colony in 1768. Uh, Spain was able to quash that rebellion, get a new governor in there, I guess uh, I guess they were hoping with a little more backbone. Uh, and started saying like, hey, you know, fellow Spaniards, why don't you go and settle that land? Like we got all this great land. Please go there and farm and try and, you know, sort of stake our claim.
0: Yeah, Chuck, also one of the reasons that they um, they took so long to encourage people to go do that and just kind of just approach the whole thing with like it, it was just kind of there was mm-hmm. because to the Spanish, the Louisiana Territory was a buffer between the English, and then later on the Americans to the east, and their territory—Texas, Mexico, California—all that to the west. Um, and it was a, a really just a nice little kind of no man's land that Spain owned, right. so that they could be like, "You need to get out." But it, they were more interested in it for the this the kind of distance it put between the English and then the Americans and the Spanish colonies.
3: Yeah, so it served a purpose to them. Even if they weren't as uh, intent on, you know, settling it, I guess, right?
0: Right. And then so as far as the Americans were concerned, when, when America became a country, by the time 1800 rolled around, I think that was the year that Jefferson was elected. And Jefferson kind of approached the whole thing with, we're totally cool. Spain owns uh, the Louisiana Territory, we're okay with that right now. Spain's letting us use the Mississippi. Yeah, huge it's deal. It's letting us use the port of New Orleans. It's letting us use the warehouses in the port of New Orleans. These were really big deals because that was how you got stuff out to Europe. in North America was basically out of the port of New Orleans um, for a lot of stuff, right, especially the Midwestern stuff. Um And as long as things were like that, it was all good. But Jefferson was very smart. And he was like, there's a really good chance things are not going to remain the same for very long. And he was right.
3: Boy, that sounds like a great cliffhanger. I think so. All right. Well, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Jefferson is feeling his oats. He thinks he can tell the future. And as Josh said, he was kind of right. And we'll explore that right after this.
5: Listen to stories for kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here,
0: I didn't think I was going to quit talking for a second. <laughs> just the whole podcast spills out of your mouth from that point on. All right. And you're just sitting
3: there like, I thought we were changing everything. <laughs> Uh So this is like the end of the 18th century. Uh, Spain is not doing so hot financially because of just kind of constant warring in Europe for, you know, many hundreds of years.
0: Oh, dude, it was really bad that century. It was a bad century for the European powers.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a money drain on everyone. So, Spain is hurting financially. And in uh, just before the turn of the century, in 1799, uh, Napoleon uh, seizes control in France. And he says, you know, he's – you know what Napoleon wanted to do. He wanted to rule the world. The Antichrist. Yeah, well <laughs> – Exactly. So part of that, you know, obviously would include the Americas, and that's not just you know Louis the Louisiana Territory, but like all of the Americas, Central America down to South America. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he tried to do so in 1800. They uh, signed a, a secret treaty with uh, Spain called the Third Treaty of San Ildefonso. You got it again, buddy. You're on a roll. <laughs> And the Louisiana Territory, which included New Orleans, of course, came back to France mm-hmm. and said, here you go, Spain. Um, we'll help you out with your money problems. And I understand the nephew of the Queen of Spain wants some area that to call his own. So you can have Etrus- uh, Etruria in Italy, which is now, I think, Tuscany, mm-hmm. Lazio, and Umbria there in central Italy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they said, great. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. So Spain says... Like a blackjack dealer as like, I'm out of the Louisiana Territory and France is like, yes, we've got it back. And from what I understand, Napoleon um, viewed this largely as a, a shipping, a storage and shipping and exporting center. New Orleans was like the crown jewel of Louisiana Territory. Um, of course. But he viewed it more as a, um, an assist to the real gem mm-hmm. in the French Empire, which was Saint-Domingue which is now called Haiti, which was one of the most profitable plots of Earth on Earth at the time. Mm-hmm. I read, Chuck, that Saint-Domingue, um, and I looked it up. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Yeah, I looked um, up. you're right. Before the uh, before the revolt in, I believe, 1800, um, they were just the taxes alone that were paid by the goods that were produced there is equal to 12 billion dollars in US dollars today jeez yeah and that was just the taxes that were being yeah. paid, let alone all the productivity. So Napoleon viewed the Louisiana Territory as like the the place that all that stuff could come to and then spread out to the rest of the world. Um, that was how he viewed it. Um, the other thing that uh, about the French having it is that Jefferson was like, man, this is not good because we've got really good stuff going on with the Spanish letting us use the Mississippi River and the yeah. port of New Orleans. And I don't think the French are going to do that. And he turned out to be right. Yeah,
3: because they, like you said, they had a sweet deal going. Uh, the one thing we didn't mention was that part of the agreement with Spain uh, because, you know, they still wanted that buffer uh, to be intact. Uh, so they, you know, said France can have it back, but like you can't give it away or sell it to anybody else. <laughs> right. Okay, Napoleon, do you will you shake on that? And he mm. went, sure. <laughs> my, right. word is, my word is my bond.
2: Yeah, for sure.
3: So that was a big, important part of it. Uh, like you said, Jefferson is getting a little bit nervous because New Orleans was very important to us as well at the time. Mm -hmm. Tensions are mounting. Uh, In 1802, Spain revokes those rights that they had previously given U.S. traders uh, in New Orleans. And they were like, wait a minute. You said you could keep our stuff here and use these warehouses. They said, not so much anymore. And Jefferson said, Napoleon, he's (laughs) behind all this. I know he is. Mm -hmm. That little stubby, uh runt. He's <laughs> I'm trying to keep this clean. Mm-hmm. It's really hard when I'm doing Jefferson, because you know that guy.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, potty mouth, potty mouth. So he said, "This is all Napoleon." I bet, and I bet you anything that they're going to shut everything down soon. And so, you know, this got people um, pretty upset in the early United States. There were people that said, "No, let's let's take it back by force." Mm-hmm. There was a senator in Pennsylvania named James Ross who was very big on that and lobbied for Jefferson to send an actual army down there of 50,000 men to to take this land. Uh, Yeah, because it was a big deal, you know. Oh, it was a huge deal. Um, Other – the Federalist Party said, no, you know, screw that. Let's just secede and (laughs) let's form our own nation, uh, which includes New Orleans. And so things were getting really up to sort of like a fever pitch about whether or not the United States was going to have access to this territory for shipping.
0: Right. Um, before we continue, Chuck, I want to show you a little magic trick. You ready? Mm. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to delete a thousand email drafts right now. <laughs> what did I? You called I Napoleon a runt, and he actually was, was average size. He was. He was. It's <laughs> a big. It's a big deal. And it was. It all came down to a difference between the French foot and the English foot. I know. There's I know, a I know. mistranslation, and so he was actually like five eleven.
3: Right. That's true.
0: I, I'm not trying to correct you. I'm just trying to no, save no, no. us from a, a, those emails.
3: I knew that. But what I, my point is, Jefferson, I've seen his diaries. He very much called him a runt, whether or not he was average size or not. Did
0: he really? Wow. <laughs> well, also, Jefferson was like, I think, nine and a half feet tall. So he would have considered someone 5'11 a runt. Yeah.
3: Anyone under seven feet tall was a pretty small person to Jefferson. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, because of uh, the, the Haitian Revolution, uh, like Haiti became the first black run country um, outside of Africa in the world uh, because there was a slave revolt. And it was, I mean, that's an enormous deal, even in retrospect. But at the mm-hmm. time, it was it was like earth-shattering for for Europe because, you know, France was making so much money off of this, but, you know, it was having a a trickling outward effect on all the other countries as well who were really benefiting from this incredibly productive forced slave labor. Um, And so when that stopped, it had a really huge effect on the economy. And to Napoleon, it was like, well, then what's the point of Louisiana territory anymore? If it was just a supporting Character for Saint Domingue, and now Saint Domingue is now Haiti, and we don't have any interest in it anymore. Um, like there's no point in owning the Louisiana territory. And it, it, he started stroking his his chin,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he thought, His average first, he chin. thought, I should grow a soul patch, uh-huh, yeah. And then after that, he said, <laughs> What is a soul patch, yeah? And then the third thing he thought at that moment was, I'm gonna sell. Uh, New France, the Louisiana territory to um, the Americans.
3: Yeah. I mean, the other reason, too, is like he he was mad with power, but he also had a lot of uh, irons in the fire and Louisiana was a long ways away. So Mm -hmm. he was like, you know, and also to take on like more warring now way over there. It's like I'm I'm spread a little bit thin, even though I am. uh, Everyone knows I'm average height, right? And everyone nodded and said, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And he's like, in history, will view me that way, right? As just an average height person. And they went, yes, sir, absolutely, sir. And he said, okay.
0: He said, so selling it won't make me look short. And they went, nope, not at all. He said, okay, well, we'll proceed then. I saw he also thought, Chuck, that it would be really great to basically help a fledgling nation become a really big nation, oh, like have a to hopefully balance out and temper well more more to be an enemy of the, his enemy, which was oh, the sure. Brits, right? And to kind of give a, the Brits a run for their money. So he he did all these things in one master stroke, which is selling the Louisiana Territory. Boy, looking, I mean,
3: things were just wild back then with uh, world shaping stuff.
0: I would argue that still goes on today. Not like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> really? I mean, do you, do you think I, NATO's fighting a proxy war with Russia through Ukraine right now? So I would say so. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, these things happen.
3: I'm just saying. It seemed like back then it was happening everywhere all at once. <sighs> no.
0: <laughs> yeah. I still I still think that it happens today. I I don't know. But though. not everywhere I, all
3: at once. Like Canada's not at war with the U S. to try and take territory. Oh, and, that's. Mexico's. Canada's greatest
0: trick is is convincing the world that they're laid back.
3: <laughs> are they? Are they laying in wait? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, that's all we need. Yeah. Uh, Ten million guns, Chuck. That's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. So this is um, let's call it 1802 because that was the year that it was, mm-hmm. and Jefferson. And, you know, it takes a long time to get word about stuff, as I realized when I was reading this. yeah, Um, Jefferson doesn't know, you know, that Napoleon's hatched this plan to sell this uh, territory back, or not back to us, but to us. Mm -hmm. So he orders uh, our minister to France, Robert Livingston, Mm -hmm. to go to France to their foreign minister and say, uh, his last name was Talleyrand, great name, Mm -hmm. and say, hey, listen, we'd like to put a stop to the acquisition of the territory from Spain. Uh, unless it's already finalized, and in the back of his head, he was like, "If it is finalized, you know, maybe go over uh, and see if you can buy New Orleans. See if they'll put New Orleans up for sale." Yeah. And he went. Oh, okay, I'll go over there. And uh, he took uh, he took a future president with him, right? Or was he former president?
0: Future. I think All we'd right. only had.
3: Yeah, I always get the two, order mixed up there in the three? early days.
0: I think Jefferson was the third i I really hope Jefferson was the third. <laughs> but, yeah, James Monroe went along to help Livingston too. and um they they started negotiating. Um they were authorized to spend up to ten million dollars. and they started negotiating with um uh, a guy named Barbet Marbois, Francois Barbet Marbois. And he was a politician. I don't think he was the foreign minister because I think Talleyrand was the foreign minister, right? Talleyrand was the foreign minister, correct? Okay. So, so Barbet-Marbois was a, a politician who was close to Napoleon who was instructed to basically broker this deal. And then Talleyrand came along and, and said, I'm going to help out too. And so, as they started to talk and negotiate, I think within the first couple days maybe, Barbet-Marbois and Talleyrand said – henceforth known as the French contingent <laughs> – um, they said, hey, how about this um, – have you, would you guys be interested in purchasing the whole Louisiana Territory? And Monroe and Livingston were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty cool. <laughs> and they were like, oh, I don't know. I think Monroe, like, examined his fingernails and uh-huh. said, well, <laughs> we'll think about it. Right. We might take it off of your head. Yeah, hands.
3: how much do you want? And the prince said, 22 million bucks. And, and, went, oh God, and he leaned over okay. and said, well, if <laughs> Jefferson wanted 10 million for New Orleans, mm-hmm. 22 mil for all of it, it's not a bad deal.
0: No, and uh, and Monroe said "ixney" on the eel day. Wait, what would that be? Nix the deal. Oh, which the deal. actually is the opposite of what he would have said. But anyway,
3: well, he said let's try and talk him down.
0: Yeah, I think they they countered with eight million.
3: Right, they settled on fifteen of just five million more than he was authorized to pay for New Orleans alone. Right, you get another, you know, eight hundred and forty-five thousand square miles.
0: Right. Right, that is a bargain, and that's how this whole thing's gone down in history. As far as as most people look at that, the French made a terrible real estate deal, and the Americans made out like bandits. Because I think uh, National Geographic said it was equivalent to fifteen million dollars at the time was equivalent to three hundred and forty-two million mm-hmm. in twenty twenty dollars. Still cheap. I did the math. It's up to three ninety-four now. Okay, but at the time in twenty twenty, that came to about ninety-one cents an acre. Which is, I mean, in today's money, that's 91 cents an acre. Um, so it's an incredible deal. Um, so, of course, they went for it. But like you said, that the mail was really slow at the time. So they they couldn't wait to get authorization from Jefferson. They had to just decide on their own that this was too spectacular of a deal to walk away from. And they were going to spend 50 percent more than they were authorized to to buy the Louisiana territory. And they did. And it took two months for Jefferson, the president, to find out that this, this deal had gone down. <laughs> two months.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, there wasn't time to go back, then spend another two months getting word back to Napoleon's party, the, Fr- the French contingent, excuse me.
0: Right. And apparently, the whole um, they they were putting pressure on the Americans by saying like, "Well, Napoleon's reconsidering this deal," right. and the Americans were like, "Okay, all right, all right, all right Classic fine. move.
3: Yeah, he's not really sure now. Uh, right. The offer might be off the table. So, <laughs> uh, they announced the deal Fourth of July, eighteen o three. Most people in the United States were obviously super psyched, um, but not everyone. It seems that people in New England were uh, they had a problem with it. They were like, "Hey, listen." We are kind of broke anyway, and we've already got enough land. To like, who wants eight hundred and fifty thousand square miles to have to take care of mm-hmm. when we're a fledgling nation? And what we need now is to keep our coffers full. And Massachusetts Congressman Joseph Quincy said, "You know, we should secede because of this." There was a lot of threats to secede. Thank goodness that doesn't happen anymore, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but they, you know, that was that didn't happen, obviously. Um, There was another issue, which which was that Jefferson was a real uh, strict constitutionalist and did not believe in uh, a president just sort of exceeding their power. And he was like, you know what? I don't even know if what we did was strictly legal.
1: This guy helped write the Constitution. (laughs)
3: Yeah. and He was like, can you have someone check that? But (laughs) I I don't think we're allowed to even do this,
0: are we? I mean he was right. No, there's no if you if you limit the presidential powers to a strict reading of the constitution, no. Nowhere in there does it say the president is allowed to acquire land for the nation.
3: Right. I mean they can go buy a condo or something if they want to privately.
0: Sure. You know. I think. The uh the condo White House, is what they call that. The White C- House West. <laughs>
3: nice little place on the pacific ocean <laughs>
0: that's right but but he was he was worried about this so he said like hey maybe we should pass a constitutional amendment about this
3: yeah and they and, you know everyone was kind of debating they were like you know what i don't think we need to add a constitutional amendment i think it's probably okay uh, you know all the, all the, like, the the early brilliant minds and Early U.S. government were trying to figure this out, Mm -hmm. kind of thinking that, hey, we got to move through with the purchase, and we'll kind of figure it out later. If we need to add an amendment, maybe we can do that retroactively. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then his Treasury Secretary, Albert uh, Gallatin, said, you know what? Um, This should be allowed under your authority to make treaties. That's how I read it, at least. Mm -hmm. And Jefferson said, that sounds good. Let's debate it. They debated it in 1803 in October, and the Senate voted 24 to 7 uh, that it was all good.
0: Yeah, um, which makes sense. I think it was upheld later on in 1823 by the Supreme Court by no less than Jefferson's political rival, John Marshall, mm-hmm. um, Justice John Marshall, Um Uh, said, yeah, actually, this is totally correct. The president's allowed to make treaties under the Constitution and you can acquire land through treaties. Ipso facto, the president can acquire land. And ever since then, that's just been, you know, part of America, although it'll probably be reversed in the next couple (laughs) of years. How about a
3: break? Yes. All right. Let's take a break and we'll talk about uh, the fact that this really wasn't a purchase outright.
5: Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here,
0: Up to now, we've basically just been laying down the general, the generally understood Louisiana Purchase, maybe with a few more details than most people know, mm-hmm. m- more than I knew before we started researching this, I should say. Mm-hmm. But at this point, we're, we reached, like, the actual geopolitical, um, like, layer of this, this historical event, of how the people at the time understood what was going on. Because in retrospect, like I said, everybody – Looks at the Louisiana Purchase like the greatest real estate deal of all time. If you look up greatest deal in history, mm-hmm. the Louisiana Purchase is cited as the, the the greatest deal ever in almost every return on whatever search engine you use, right? Yeah. So at the time they didn't really consider it that. It wasn't like a purchase of land. Instead, it was a transfer. Of what the French had acquired through the doctrine of discovery, which is essentially this kind of, again, a geopolitical layer, a legal fiction that is laid over actual land that basically says, um, if you go to an area and you find people there, but they're not Christians, you can claim that land as yourself and deal with the people who are indigenous as you see fit without interference from the other European powers.
3: Right. So that's what they purchase. Um you could call it a preemption or a territorial abstraction. But, yeah, it basically meant you're. we almost bought the right to steal that land from Native Americans Yeah, without, uh, yeah, like without Spain or France laying any claim to
0: it. I would agree with what you just said fully, but I would remove almost from it. Right. Fully, I guess, is the word I meant. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And that whole doctrine of discovery thing, by the way, came from a papal bull, a papal decree from 1492, coincidentally, where the Pope said essentially that, like, if you find a place that's considered terra nullis, which is unpopulated, essentially unpopulated by Christians, that's your that's your land. So it was basically legal cover for the genocide that followed from that point on.
3: Yeah, and it's at this point that I'm going to recommend again, I know I mentioned it before, uh, but the great documentary series from 2021 called Exterminate All the Brutes. Uh, you, of all people, would love it. Uh, it's really good. You would love it. Um, Raoul Peck's series Explorers, basically. It was on HBO, I think. But okay. Just sort of the history of uh, colonialism, but but more than that. Um, the way he tells it through a modern lens and um, just sort of from the dawn of time, once people started um, being mean to each other, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really, really tough heady documentary uh, series, so.
0: Yeah, it sounds like my Friday night for sure.
3: Uh, Well, several Friday nights, but yeah, sure.
0: Okay. If you watch enough.
3: that all in one Friday night, then it's a very dark Saturday to follow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, um, okay, I'll check it out. What's it called again? Exterminate, Exterminate? All the Brutes. Okay, I'll check it out. Because I happen to have HBO Max.
3: Oh, well, me too. So maybe it's on there. For my money, one of the best streaming
0: services. <laughs> so, um. The Just to kind of button this whole thing up, basically what happened under the doctrine of discovery and the preemption that America bought from France said that you can go do whatever you want with this land. You can acquire it however you want to. We're not going to do—like, you don't actually get any land from us. You get us saying, this is yours now, and the rest of Europe, we have to leave these guys alone while they do whatever they want. This is now part of their sovereign territory. From one Christian but,
3: nation to another, basically.
0: Exactly. That's right. So, um the thing is, is that uh, I guess the Americans that were running the show at the time, led by Jefferson— We're well aware, like this is this is there's plenty of people out there, and probably even more than we realize. I'm sure there's indigenous groups that we've not even encountered yet. He sent Lewis and Clark out in 1804, like the the year after the purchase um, was announced, Um, but they they had to get that land somehow, and this this um, preemption gave them the right to either to do it however they pleased: treaty, paying people off, just straight up extermination. Uh, However, uh, America wanted to do it from that point on, that was Europe was just going to sit back and let it happen.
3: Yeah. And it was kind of a mix of all those things. Um, The U.S. did pay, you know, uh, I mean, it's a lot of money, but it's still not a lot of money, you know. Right. Uh, About eight point five billion dollars in modern dollars to Mm -hmm. Native Americans for the land within the uh, Louisiana Territory. But. Uh, as we'll see, it, it that happened in a lot of different ways. And there were some modern sort of reparations that happened as a result uh, here and there. Um, there was a land deal. and these are just some examples. Um, there was a, you know, there was always sort of uh, the threat of violence hanging over every deal that was made. So you have to factor mm-hmm. that in. Mm-hmm. Um there was a land deal with uh, a native nation. This was after, you know, we made the deal with France. And the SAC and Fox Nation sent, Uh, Some people to St. Louis sent a delegation there to say, hey, you know, uh, we murdered three squatters on our land. I would really like you to not uh, retaliate on us because that would start a big mess. And Mm -hmm. so William Henry Harrison, who was the governor um, of the Indiana uh, Territory and now Louisiana, which was Mm – this is a lot of area that William Henry Harrison was covering. Yeah, uh, signed, you know, put a lot of heat on them, and they signed away 3.6 million acres of land uh, along the Mississippi, including about 1.6 million that was part of the Louisiana Purchase territory for three thousand three hundred twenty-four dollars in goods.
0: And if that if that sounds like a paltry amount, you're right. But even at the time it was like the the sock and the Fox would have considered it paltry because I read that they made something like $60,000 a season just from selling furs alone. So this was a, an insulting amount of money. Supposedly, William Henry Harrison was like particularly adept at, at creating these treaties, and this was the first one. And uh, they ended up basically negotiating with this this contingency of, or this contingent of um, sauk and Fox, leaders, but also not people who were recognized in those tribes mm-hmm. as having the authority to sign away their land. But they signed something. William Henry Harrison said, good enough. This is legal. We now own that that land. Please get out.
3: Right. Uh, and this, all, this is one of those that um, was brought up later. Uh, in 1973, there was a commission, a federal commission that looked back on this uh, land deal and said, you know what? Uh, it was worth about sixty cents an acre at the time. Mm-hmm. We purchased it for a half cent an acre. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pay you back now here in the early nineteen seventies that fifty-nine and a half cents. Uh here's two million dollars. And they said, Well, wait a minute though, this is <laughs> this is nineteen seventy-three. You're not including inflation or interest. Like mm-hmm. you're you're paying us for what you owed us in eighteen oh four using nineteen seventy-three money, and they went. Excuse me. What? Here's your check. <laughs> right. Just uh, go about your go about your day, and that's exactly what happened.
0: And that was the first deal, the first treaty that was that was formed. After the Louisiana Purchase, that affected land from Louisiana Territory, right? And it just kind of went on from there. Some some tribes were given money. Some tribes were forced out for no money whatsoever. Um, I think the Blackfeet famously lost 12 million acres and were given no money at all. Um, and what's they weren't exactly like the indigenous tribes weren't exactly treated like royalty. By the French or the Spanish, right, but they they weren't forced off of their land en masse, um like they were once America owned the Louisiana territory. yeah, like it was a brand new, a brand new show that they had not been prepared for. they They lived and worked and, you know, followed their traditional ways among the French and the Spanish, who, you know, Made concessions to them and recognized a lot of their their um, their tribal territory and their tribal customs, um, but they were they still considered the land belonging to France or belonging to Spain. But they they weren't moved off, and then America came along and were like, "Get out! We've got a lot of people back east, and we are spreading westward." And essentially, what they did was just continue to push and push and push the Native Americans all the way into the Pacific, basically.
3: Yeah. And, you know, one of the things they would do is like they would clear out one tribe and the, you know, we call it the West. It was the Louisiana Territory Mm -hmm. to make room to move like an East Coast tribe or a Southeastern tribe or a Northeastern tribe. Then they would move them into that land and say, here, you can have this, but not for long because we're also going to remove you. And -hmm. it was just like you said, it was just sort of shuffling these tribes one at a time, further and further West. Uh, which, you know, obviously culminated, uh, in the Trail of Tears, um, which, uh, we had a, I think that was a two parter, right? Yeah, it was. That was one, one of the best, um, two parters we've done, I think.
0: It, it rivaled Evil Knievel. Even Mark Ruffalo tweeted out about that episode. I forgot. Hulk himself. That's right. He did. Hulk himself.
3: Hulk himself. So it was, it was just sort of the beginning of, uh, beginning of a new day for indigenous Americans, Uh, no more, you know, basically sort of living with Europeans and kind of sharing the land. It was like, no, this is ours. And, and we're removing you, uh, you know, permanently.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just like that 1492 papal decree of the doctrine of discovery, America kind of formulated its own stuff like the manifest destiny, which essentially said, like, we were we were given this land to take it over from coast to coast this is america was meant to to do this to become this continental nation and become a superpower and that was used as a reason like just we were supposed to do it we were we were destined to do this so let's just keep doing it and another one that was used is that the um, the Native Americans weren't weren't using the land they weren't putting it to use so we're going to put it to more productive use and make money off of it which ipso facto means we should have it so these were kind of like the rationales for pushing further and further west and we did it with such gusto Chuck That the Louisiana Purchase was signed in 1803. Mm -hmm. Fifty years later, the Gadsden Purchase purchased southern Arizona and southwest New Mexico from uh, Mexico, I believe. And at that moment, 50 years after the Louisiana Purchase doubled the size, the contiguous 48 states as they are today was set. Fifty years is all it took for us to take over the entire North American continent, aside from Canada and Mexico.
3: Wow. That puts it into perspective.
0: We were vigorous, I should say. So like you mentioned earlier,
3: uh, Lewis and Clark were then sent out because we didn't really know even what we had as far, like, the, the borders were very hazy. Uh, they were hazy when Spain had it. They were hazy when France had it. Mm-hmm. They they knew the northern and southern borders because you had the Gulf of Mexico and you had, uh, the you know, Canada and the northern territories. But. As far as West goes, they were like, oh, I don't know. And everyone would look at each <laughs> other, and they would look at mapmakers, and they would all shrug and go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, in the purchase, it said uh, they referred to the land, the colony or province of Louisiana, with the same extent it now has in the hands of Spain, and that it had when France possessed it. And France and Spain both shrugged. So they sent Lewis and Clark out, and Jefferson said, hey, when it comes to that Western border, just go nuts. Um, yeah. you, you don't don't feel like you got to really be too restrictive right. on where that on where this louisiana territory ends mm-hmm. and so they said how about the rocky mountains and they said Great. That's uh, They sound lovely. Perfect.
0: Right. And America's tactic strategy, national strategy, you could say, was just to keep pushing westward, right? So when you reached America's border, just keep going. And we would show up en masse and these British, like the British apparently controlled Oregon territory, which I didn't realize, but it explains Washington and British Columbia's names, um, and we would just show up along the Oregon Trail, and enough of us would show up that the Brits would finally be like, fine, forget it. Here, just take this. We want British Columbia. You take Washington and Oregon, and we did that in Texas, and that's how we just kept acquiring more and more land, just, just by virtue of showing up in numbers and being willing to shed blood, pay money, um, and do you know all sorts of stuff to acquire that land. That's right. Quite a story. Yeah, and I mean, there's—it's not like this is all just a nothing but a, a negative story. I mean, depending on your perspective, yeah, it's pretty negative in a lot of ways. But also, I mean, it's not like America's just like the worst country that ever existed. Like, America's done a lot of really great stuff for the world—spread democracy, spread peace. Done a lot of shady stuff too. I think everybody who's ever listened to the podcast knows that. I am aware of that. But mm-hmm. it's also done a lot of really cool stuff for the world. So in one sense, the Louisiana Purchase helped kickstart that country that would go on to do some really cool, important things. Unfortunately, on the other hand, it gave us the Midwest.
3: <laughs> oh, man. I had a feeling that was building towards a, a joke, a punchline. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I meant everything. Good payoff. Okay, so uh, you got anything else about the Louisiana Purchase? No, I think I'm well armed uh, for Jeopardy, though. Okay, I am too. Let's get it on, as Alex Trebek used to say. <laughs> uh, if you want to know more about the Louisiana Purchase, you can search that on um, well on your favorite search bar. But also, I'm sure How Stuff Works has some good stuff on it. So why not start there? And since I said How Stuff Works, and it's 2010 again, it's time for listener mail.
3: Uh, I'm going to call this support for you, Josh. Oh, okay. Thank you. For the whole uh, sans serif debacle. <laughs> when I, uh, in retrospect, was a little unfair. When I was
0: like, what? You never knew okay. sans serif meant no serifs? I didn't take it that way at all, but I know how you feel right now, because I just QA'd our How Vampires Works episode. worked episode. Oh, from back then? Yes, and mm-hmm. you said you didn't like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I was like, what? <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. I just listened to the
3: License Plate Played episode, guys. It felt like I had to back up Josh in regards to Serif and Sans Serif. Uh, I'm an architect and endured many grueling years of architectural school, during which we primarily prepare graphic and architectural presentations in lieu of exams and papers. So, as you can imagine, the aesthetic mind of a young architect can get obsessed with selecting the... Uh, perfect font to align with the architectural concept they're about to present. I wasted many hours selecting the perfect font, and as did most other students in my class. Uh, I'm now in my mid-30s and have been practicing for over 12 years and made no connection to the meet.
0: 12 years? Would you hire a 24-year-old architect? Hmm. I don't know. Oh. If, they, if he was okay. precocious and went, he or she you know, start, started attending Harvard at 15, maybe. Okay. All right. Look at me, I'm being ageist.
3: Uh, now I'm in mid-30s, I've been practicing for 12 years, made no connection to the meaning of Seraph until two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Josh, I was well aware of the idea of sans, but never put the two and two together. Awesome. Uh, you could take everything Josh stated word for word and apply it to me. Uh, you guys make me laugh a lot, but this is one of the better chuckles I've had while listening uh, to Josh go on about sans serif, uh, his sans Seraph revelation, mm-hmm. and the likeness to my own Unlike Josh, though, I never admitted it aloud, uh, and I felt it was about time. So, Josh, thanks for sharing and letting me know that I'm not alone.
0: Uh, kind regards from Tim. Tim, thank you for that support. That was very nice of you. And I feel like I'm I'm the midwife of helping you birth your own um, admission. <laughs> <laughs> it just got weird, but sure. <laughs> As Bob Newhart would put it. Yeah. Um, thanks again, Tim. And if you want to be like Tim... You can send an email to stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com.
4: Stuff you should know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen
1: to your favorite shows.
4: Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.